Habakkuk deals with a society that is evil and unjust. No society ever in the history of the world has achieved perfect community. No people group or nation ever can say that they are perfect in love, where peace reigns, where everyone is safe all the time and life is good. You know this, but it needs to be said. No society ever, including ours today, no society ever has conquered evil and injustice. Our best attempt is to minimise it. Our best attempt is to cover up evil and injustice. Our best attempt is to hide it away as best we can. Someone I know who works in cyber security and cyber crime has told me that he finds it almost impossible to participate in church community because he suspects that everyone around him is so fake and hypocritical. Through his work, through his surveillance, he has a sense of just how messed up so many people are in illegal and immoral activity online. This is Australia. This is Canberra. This is New Life Presbyterian Church. Every one of us is affected and infected by sin. The Bible expects this. The Bible tells us this about ourselves, that we are all building for ourselves a kingdom without its rightful king. We will pursue pleasure in ways that will oppress others. We seek satisfaction in a way that diminishes true satisfaction. Not one of us is immune. Our sermon today is going to be heavy going because we're going to take an honest look in the mirror at ourselves. God's Word, through His prophet, holds up a mirror so we might see ourselves as we truly are. Habakkuk comes to us in a fascinating way as a Word of God. It's a conversation, a conversation of complaint between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk's doing the complaining, God is doing the listening and the responding. There's complaint, response, complaint, response and then it concludes with a prayer. This morning we're going to look at the first 11 verses, which is Habakkuk's first complaint in verses 1 to 4 and God's response in verses 5 to 11. Habakkuk here is holding up a mirror to his own people, Judah. 
so that they might see who they truly are. Judah is the remaining southern, southern tribes of Israel. God's Old Testament people were made up of 12 tribes. Ten tribes, were northern tribes, were Israel, who were wiped out by the Assyrians, those that we heard about from Nineveh, that we were reading about in Nahum in previous weeks. The remaining two tribes down south are known as Judah. And Habakkuk is holding up a mirror to them round about or in the 7th century BC. And this is what he sees. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 for us if you'd like to follow along, please. Habakkuk chapter 1, page 662 in the Church Bibles. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. As Habakkuk looks around him, he sees violence, he sees evil, he sees conflict, he sees injustice among the people of God. Those who God had rescued and chosen to be his own people, those whom he had given his good law, those whom he had appointed to make known to the rest of the world God's goodness. Amongst them, there is not a hint of goodness. They are so corrupt that Habakkuk says in verse 4, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Could you imagine living in a society like this? Perhaps you have. A place where you cannot trust the police, not one of them. You cannot trust lawyers or lawmakers. The high court is useless. Royal commissions are defunct. This is Judah in Habakkuk's time. And Habakkuk's big complaint, more than the sin that he sees, is God's silence. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why do you look idly at what is going on amongst your people? We are supposed to hear the sharp tone to Habakkuk's question. He's asking God 
And he's already got some thoughts of his own about what God is or isn't up to. Now, even before we go on to verse 5, even before we hear a word of what God says in response, let's notice this about God. God is big enough to hear Habakkuk's complaint. God is not anxious about honest complaint. God is not threatened by honest complaint. God is mighty enough to hear it. God is mighty enough to act according to his good plans and purposes in his good time. Have you ever been really honest with God? You know, laid on the table your unfiltered emotions. Told God how you really feel. Can I say, this is an expression of faith. When we turn to God in the face of evil and and injustice, when we turn to God and complain, this is an expression of faith. Godly complaint is directed to God, not about God. Remember the Israelites when they were at Mount Sinai. They'd been rescued out of Egypt and God led them through Moses, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai. Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, there he was meeting with God and he was receiving from God, God's good law captured in the Ten Commandments. Remember that time what the Israelites were doing? In the midst of God's silence, they started to complain about God to Aaron and they turned to other gods and idols. Godly complaint is directed to God, not about God. God is mighty enough to hear our raw and honest complaint. In complaint to God, we are entrusting ourselves to the mighty one who is over us and before us. However, as we entrust ourselves to God at the point of complaint, it is necessary that we entrust ourselves to God in his response. For Habakkuk, God's response is shocking. Let's read on from verse 5, what God says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. Now, if Habakkuk didn't know enough about the Babylonians, here God is going to give Habakkuk the Babylonians' LinkedIn profile. God says, verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. 
Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. What is God's response to Habakkuk's complaint? God is going to do something. God is going to deal with the evil and injustice that Habakkuk sees amongst his people in Judah. God will raise up the Babylonians, verse 6. God says that he is going to send to Judah the fiercest and most criminal bikey gang of the ancient world. There is no shortage of words for him to remind Habakkuk what they're like. They're ruthless, impetuous. They're going to sweep across the whole earth. They're going to seize. They're to be feared. They're dreaded. They're a lord to themselves. They promote their own honour. They're swift. They're fierce. They're violent. Verse 11, they worship their own strength. They come through and they smash people and they kiss their biceps. Verse 5, God says, this will hardly be believable. To deal with Judah's evil and injustice, God will raise up the evil and unjust Babylonians. Now the Bible teaches us that behind all of history, God is working out His plans and purposes. Every nation, every ruler, every king, every president, every prime minister, the last one, the current one and the next one, every single one is God's appointment. Whether that nation, ruler, king, president, prime minister be self-seeking or ineffective or even an evil tyrant, they are only given power by God to be used by Him for His purposes. And here Habakkuk and we too are confronting with the shocking reality that to deal with Judah's evil and injustice, God raises up an even more evil and unjust people. Habakkuk wants to ask a question at this point. How can God be perfectly just if He uses evil to deal with injustice? Have you ever had that question? Yeah, I have. I've got that question. We're going to look at it next week when we come to Habakkuk's second complaint from verse 12. But this is what needs to sit with us today. The forces of evil and injustice in the world are never a threat 
to God's sovereignty and righteousness. The presence of evil and injustice in the world, whether it's covered up, whether it's in the corner of the world, whether it's not noticed by the media, or whether it's rolled out by a nation or a king or a tyrant or a dictator, evil and injustice in the world does not diminish God's might nor his might to save. If Habakkuk had been in Jerusalem round about 30 AD, he would have seen an innocent man captured and taken over by violent men who were under the direction of a lawless ruler, manipulated by self-worshipping religious leaders to be tortured and nailed to a cross. If Habakkuk was there looking on, he would have said, how long, O Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen? I cry out violence, but you do not save. The missionary apostle Paul quotes from verse 5 in Habakkuk in his passionate gospel preaching in Antioch where he says that the unbelievable and unexpected horror that God's salvation plans be worked out this way, that God himself in his son Jesus might endure the greatest horror of evil and injustice to bring perfect peace and justice for us. We live in an evil and corrupt world. But know this, the Babylonians are not coming because Jesus has come. Because God is mighty to save. And so what Paul says is I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free and saved. The New Testament calls that good news. It takes... God's message to Habakkuk that is surprising news and calls it good news. That though we live in a society that is evil and corrupt, though it creeps into our own hearts and lives that we are affected and infected by it, God says that we can be forgiven that we can be free, that we can be saved. Is that a message that you know? What God is working out in this world, in His good plans and purposes what we read in these obscure minor prophets, what God is doing in history, it is all working towards His Son and through His Son, Jesus, 
to save those who turn to Him in repentance and faith. Is that a good news that you know? Now here's where we're going to get heavy for those of us who know this good news. One of the things we've been saying as we look at the Old Testament prophets is that the prophet holds up a mirror so that we might see ourselves as we truly are. And if we're to honestly hold up a mirror to our evil... As a community, and particularly as a church, we need to talk about domestic and family violence. Because domestic and family violence hides away inside homes, it is too easy for us to not see it. Too easy for us to not talk about it. Community groups and the media round about us are helping us to bring it out into the open. But we need to do more. As people who know the good news of the Gospel, first of all, we need to honestly, truly look at ourselves. Let me say very clearly... God is opposed to all abuse and violence in our homes. This is very clear in the first reading that we had from 1 Peter this morning. It's not an ideal for marriage and homes. That is the way that we are to be. Every hint of violence, every abusive word every muscle flex of intimidation, every attempt to control or dominate or instill fear in our homes, be it physical or emotional, psychological, sexual or financial, it is all evil. It is the opposite of loving like Jesus. And we have to break the silence and stop it. First of all, by taking an honest look in the mirror. We've prepared a New Life brochure that we're going to distribute today. I'll pass it around the rows during our last song. It'll be available on the information table and in a day or so it'll be available on our church website. We've put this together to help us to understand and respond together as a loving church. Can I tell you a couple of things about that? Number one... Uh, Our staff and elders here at New Life are equipped to listen to you and help you. Uh, 
we, they, have been doing lots of things behind the scenes over the last couple of years so that as a leadership we might be equipped and able to be a church that is a safe place, that helps our families be safe places, that influences our community to be safe places. Our staff and elders are equipped to listen and help you. Now, all of our staff and elders are men. We have women available if you need to speak with a female. Now, I know a large part of our room this morning is under 18. Young people, you are not alone. You can talk to your youth leader uh, or to Tim or Kate. The brochure that we pass around today is for you as well. It's for everyone. And provided in it is a phone number for the Presbyterian Church Conduct Protocol Unit. That sounds very cold and official. But on the other end of the line is a wonderful guy named John and a wonderful lady named Vera who are available for advice and support. Whatever your question might be. Because God is mighty to save, we can break the silence on domestic and family violence. We can bring it out to a place where we can be helped by the people that God has placed around about us. As we head to another Father's Day, just a week away if you needed a reminder socks and undies and all those things. As we head to another Father's Day, I want to urge you, especially men who are husbands and dads, can this week you do the most amount of preparation for Father's Day? Please take an honest look in the mirror. Hold the mirror up to your home. If Habakkuk could see what you see, would he be distressed? Are you distressed? Let's do that honest looking, knowing that our great and wonderful God is mighty to save. And knowing that He is mighty to save, here is a prayer that we can pray together. And it'll be available for you on the back of the brochure that I bring around today. I'm going to lead us in praying this prayer now. Our Heavenly Father, 
We praise You, Lord Jesus, that Your light enables us to live truthfully and well in the sight of God. We are grieved by our world where people habitually use their power to abuse the weak. We thank You that in Jesus, the new world that is to come has broken into this world where the weak are honoured, rescued, protected and empowered through the strong. And so we realise that abuse does not belong amongst those who follow Jesus, that there is no place for abuse in the churches or in our church. We confess our part in the wrong, whether we have participated in abuse or simply ignored the strong preying on the weak, be it in domestic violence or child abuse or elder abuse or abuse in the workplace. We ask that our churches will be different to the pattern of our world, that our church will use its power to protect the abused, that we will not allow abuse to stay in darkness and will not try to cover it up. We ask you, God, to help us be real followers of Jesus, who show that there is no place for abuse or cover-ups in the church. May we be like Jesus, who suffered abuse from the powerful to save the weak, even us. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who have been abused and also for abusers. Enable our small groups and our church to be a safe place where people, all people, and their family members can reach out for help. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.